The Fed is on the move to contain stubborn inflation and volatility across asset classes has been rampant. Where can investors hide? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best perspectives from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing insights and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of June 27th, 2022. And as we discussed last week, the market environment has been tumultuous as the Fed moves more aggressively to contain inflation. And in response, we are pulling in some of the brightest minds from across the New York Life Investments platform, specifically in the fixed income space, to help us make sense of this environment and hopefully find new investment ideas. Today, Julie and I are so pleased to welcome Art Tory, the head of the High Yield Group at NYL Investors, to discuss opportunities in floating rates. Thank you so much for joining us today, Art. It's wonderful to be here, Lauren. Thank you very much for the invitation today. Well, we're going to put you on the spot right away because it has been such a volatile market lately. Can you give us just a high-level update on leveraged loans on the asset class? Yes, and you really summed it up nicely with the word tumultuous. It, it has certainly been that kind of a year just across asset classes, geographies, sectors. It's been a very much a wild ride. And I've been talking to our clients about how, well, floating rate has been insulated to a lot of these broader movements in asset prices. We've not been immune to them. And so from a performance standpoint, floating rate really across most major asset classes is really leading the way this year, which we kind of assumed when the year started, but maybe not in the way that it's ultimately manifested itself. And what does that return profile look like for floating rate so far this year? To put that performance into a little better perspective, when we look at year-to-date performance, floating rate is, is down just a little less than 3% from a return perspective. So it doesn't feel great to lead the way with the smallest negative number. But again, it, we live in a relative performance business. And so, you know, compared to high yield being off about 12% this year, investment grade corporates off around 14%, stocks now down almost 23%, even the 10-year treasury is off 13%. It's really a significant degree of outperformance. And, you know, we've talked about floating rates benefits, about how uh, its correlations in these environments tend to help it outperform. And it's certainly led the way thus far. And we've seen a lot of back and forth in performance. You know, January was a strong positive month. February is around flat. The Russian invasion caused a, a March, you know, negative performance month. April was a rally. May was a sell-off. June, we started out quite strong. And then, you know, the last week or so, we've, we've had certainly not been immune again to the broader volatility. But again, all in all, you know, we're really, I guess, pleased with the performance on a relative basis. But income is is looking really strong for our asset class. It's just risk premiums and volatility has caused principal returns to struggle a bit. And that's what we're hoping for as we will hopefully look to the second half of this year and we'll be able to look forward to perhaps stronger rebounding, we'd like to think. Are you use the word insulated, and it makes sense because almost by definition, floating rates should be a bit more insulated in the rising interest rate and high inflation environment we're seeing today. So I think my question there is, should floating rate be considered as tactical positioning in an environment like today when rates are rising? Or do you see the asset class as having a standard or more permanent part of any fixed income portfolio from the diversification perspective? I would have said last year, floating rates saw very strong inflows last year, and floating rate is typically thought of when the Fed is on the move, when they're hiking interest rates, 
And clearly we weren't in that type of environment last year, and yet the, the asset class saw very strong inflows. And so it was really as investors are trying to protect themselves from duration, they moved into the floating rate asset class. Even though yields weren't necessarily on the rise, at least prices were holding firm because we're negatively correlated to, to long treasuries. Now that the Fed is on the move and, and seemingly committed now, usually when the Fed is normalizing interest rates, it's part of a program. It's a path that they're following for typically a more extended period of time. And that's usually when we get into what we would say the strategic asset allocation argument for floating rate. It's the opportunity to realize higher yields more quickly in a rising interest rate environment. And because the Fed is hopefully going to be doing that for a longer period of time, then from an asset flow perspective, clients can think more strategically about the asset class and something that they can hopefully hold on to you know, through the cycle. Your point about strategic asset allocation is so interesting, Art, but I want to go back to the tactical aspect of what you were saying, because one pushback we've been hearing about floating rate is that, yes, when you anticipate interest rates to rise, and as they start to rise, floating rate tends to see benefit, and we have seen that to some extent over the last year or so, as you've said. Now that the Fed is already on the move, is it too late to realize the benefits of the floating rate asset class, or is there still room to run? Yeah, I mean, I think this is, again, I think part of a broader view in terms of whether you're looking at equities or equities oversold. Is there value here? You know, where is the economy going? You know, typically as the economy goes, so too does the credit cycle. And so moving the clock back only a couple of months ago, I know certainly from our perspective, we saw the economy more as, as the glass being more half full than half empty. Certainly challenges. But overall, I think our strongest conviction is in the fact that there's such pent up demand in the economy, especially with the supply chain issues, that it's going to take quite some time for that demand to be fully met. And that that should extend the credit cycle. And therefore, you know, for us, I mean, it's some, many indicators are, are backward looking. But when we look at upgrades to downgrades, ratios from the credit rating agencies, we continue to see good health there. Certainly performance through the first quarter would show top line growth across our issuers, as well as, you know, issuers and public high yield bond issuers, as well as floating rate issuers. Margins are starting to get a little more compressed. So with wage inflation and commodity inflation and, and other cost pressures, companies are trying to pass those higher prices along, but there can be a little bit of a lag there. So while profits are growing, they're not growing generally as fast as revenues are. And so that is something that we're watching carefully. But in terms of default forecasts and outlook, we're basically still functioning at about the 10-year lows for defaults and floating rate right now. Less than 1% by par amount of floating rate loans are in default currently today. The 10-year average is typically around 3%. So we're well below the long-term average. And as we look forward for the balance of this year and even starting to look forward to next year, looking at the kind of strategy pieces from some of the main Wall Street banks, defaults are still projected to be below the 10-year average even through 2023. That would seem to indicate that we're not going to be in a recession next year. And so in terms of is it too late or is the clock about to strike midnight at the ball, to us, we think the run we have fundamentally in, in floating rates still has some good legs to run in here. Well, you took one of the questions right out of our mouth, which was about these historically low default rates. And it sounds as though you believe defaults can remain low over the course of this credit cycle. And, and frankly, that's something that we're seeing across asset classes, that company fundamentals, household fundamentals as well are, are strong in this recovery. And that makes this potential economic cycle a little different from those in the past and, and certainly supports the case for floating rate, as you've said. Just one more question about fundamentals that we've had on our mind, which is how we should think about 
duration or interest rate risk and credit risk in this cycle and in floating rate compared to, for example, traditional high yield securities? Yeah, I mean, uh, as we look certainly for the coming months, I think there'll be a tremendous benefit to the floating rate asset class from a yield perspective. Seeing how most loans, you know, typically it's a little over a month before the floating rate loan coupons reset for whatever the new base rate of interest is. So obviously we've we got the most recent uh, FOMC announcement of the 75 basis point hike. So in about a month from now, those higher yields will start hitting our portfolios. And so it's a very short duration asset. It's principal benefit to investors is its low duration risk. Given that low duration risk, what is your outlook for the path of interest rates? And to what extent does that even matter for floating rate? And I think that's, you know, this year it's been hard for people to peg, well, where where are rates going? And when the 10-year was at 2.5%, people might have thought, well, gee, we're already up 100 basis points. How much higher can it go? And then you break 3%, and then you break 3.25%. No one wants to be in the business of prognosticating where interest rates are necessarily going. But I think the fact is, especially as we look from a return perspective, maybe not so much from a perspective of someone who's already been investing in the asset class, but more thinking about it as a from a holding period return perspective, if I were to invest a dollar today, where can I generate the best returns for the balance of the year? We continue to think that floating rates should be very competitive in here, given the rise in yields that we're realizing. And then hopefully it's, you know, as they say, darkest before the dawn. It, it, like I say, with all the volatility that we've had, at some point we'd like to think that people are going to realize that the market may be closer to fair value in here and that we'll see perhaps greater optimism towards, especially in risk assets, we can see some additional dollars kind of flow in from here. And so high yield, I think thus far in June, really highlights while floating rate loans are down about 80 basis points uh, month to date as we come together today, high yield is off over 5% for the month. It's the widest performance gap between floating rate and high yield on record. Now that's at a time again, when the 10 year had another widening move in here. And so duration, it's not so much credit spreads that are, are, are rising. It's really duration that's been chewing up returns, whether it's in investment grade corporates or high yield. This takes us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. So Art, can you shed some light for us? What is your highest conviction investment theme right now? Coming into this year, we looked very strongly towards the credit fundamentals, falling defaults and whatnot, and felt that it was an opportunity to be, you know, move up our risk tolerance a little bit and move down the credit spectrum which for us is a bit relative because we tend to avoid kind of the riskiest sectors of the market. But more recently, we moved to more of an overweight position in single B credit, and we were market weight in double B rated credit, which in non-investment grade investing, double Bs are your higher quality and single Bs are your lower quality. But now that, you know, with the recent backup, we've been looking more to maybe balance out our risk exposure, moving a little bit out of our overweight in single B and more ultimately into our double B risk component. What benefit does that adjustment in risk exposure have for investors? I think one of the big benefits to investors, you know, double Bs being higher credit quality show lower standard deviation of returns from a price uh, basis. And I think the other benefit is, is, as we talked about, with, with interest rates rising, the penalty to hold higher credit quality is a lot less today than it was a year ago. So in our marketplace, especially pre-COVID, double B loans might earn 2% over, over the short-term interest rate. So those same loans today, obviously, when short-term interest rates were at 25 basis points and you were only earning 2% over that, it's 
two and a quarter percent all-in yield. Now we're moving closer to 2% and on our way potentially to 3% if the Fed's forward guidance is for short-term rates to reach closer to 3% by the end of the year. Now you're making a 5% yield on that same double B exposure. So for us, we think it's a natural extension of our kind of appetite to perhaps rotate a bit more into double B Certainly until I think this uncertainty about when is the recession, how far out into the future is it, when the market has sold off, people have been concerned about the timetable of that arriving being a lot sooner. And so I I think for us, if the bull case and soft landing potential kind of gets greater or more widely accepted by the investing public, then I think there's an opportunity to to go back down in credit risk. But I think for us, as we move through this period of confluence, as the markets are trying to figure things out, we think it's prudent to be moving a little bit up in credit quality this year. Well, credit quality and really quality across asset classes is one of the major themes that we're exploring for our mid-year outlook. Because to your point, as volatility increases and investors look for opportunities to stay invested, but to build some resilience against that volatility, moving higher in credit quality can make a lot of sense. And there is no place to access that insight, that expertise, and that ability to make those shifts outside of people who are on the ground doing this every day, day in and day out. Art, thank you so much for joining us to share your expertise today. It was my pleasure. I hope we get to do it again soon. Now, how do we on the multi-asset solutions team think about floating rate in a global multi-asset context? We believe floating rate can potentially offer resilience to volatility, as we've mentioned, and can offer resilience to inflation. As we've discussed, floating rate has less credit risk and has tended to lead the way in a rising interest rate environment like today. Floating rate bank loans have also tended to be secured, which can help reduce credit risk as well. And as Art has highlighted in some of his other presentations, leverage loan benchmarks have delivered positive returns in all but two of the last 30 years. So potentially beyond just being a place to hide as the Fed is hiking interest rates, floating rate can be attractive as more of an all-weather strategy for those looking to diversify their fixed income exposure. Coming up next, next week, we'll be exploring a less often talked about asset class, but one of the favorites at New York Life Investments, which is municipal bonds. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest or a portfolio manager you'd love to hear from, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied 
upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. NYL Investors LLC is a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company and an affiliate of New York Life Investments. Not all products and services provided by NYL Investors will be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulations in certain jurisdictions. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at NYL Investors, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without the express written permission of NYL Investors. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.